0: It's a little bit, well, let's just say it's a lot different because I've never gone through the thoughts that we're going to talk about. Um, I pray that it's helpful. And if you're here and you never struggle with your faith, then you're going to think it's irrelevant. But if you're here and you're one of those perfect Christians I've never met, but if you are, you know somebody that's struggling. You know somebody that doubts the existence of God. Some of us who are too... We've been Christians for so long that we think that we have it all together. Like, think about being married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Does that make you a perfect spouse? No. Like, does that, if I've been working for a company for 12, 20, 30 years, does that make me a perfect employee? No, I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to start over, if you will. I need to go back to the beginning of my faith journey with God and say, Lord, let me fall in love with you even more than I did the first time. And so, I want to say three things as we begin this. And it's setting the foundation for this year. It's setting the foundation for this series. You've got to remember three things. If you don't remember anything else this year, there's three things you need to remember. Number one, we talked about this last week, so I'm just going to say it. God is good. All the time. All the time. Yay. God is good. You've got to remember that. Okay? Um, number two... He loves you. You are, man, don't get too excited. Wow, well, I, got, I got like this. If my wife comes up to me and says, honey, she didn't say honey, but sometimes. Pookie, she'll say pookie. I don't know where that came from like a long time ago. I love you. And I go, wow, makes you feel good. It does make me go, really? <laughs> See, we should get, I, I'm, I'm, I'm planting seeds into our heart, including myself, so that we would remember as we're going through the series and we're going through this year, there's three things. God is good. You are loved by God. Yes. And this is an important one, too. This is like a tag along, but it really wraps it into a nice little present. That we serve a risen Savior, not a dead not a dead God. Okay? We don't serve a God that's just sitting there in heaven going, or doesn't it? We serve a God that's alive. Sometimes the world kind of makes it seem like he is hidden, okay? We can look at the book of Psalms and say, why do you seem so distant, God? Why are you not there? Why are you far away? It seems like that. But so remember those things. God is good. You are loved. And that, you know what? We serve a risen Savior who's alive today as much as he was 2,000 years ago, as much as he was when you read the Bible. This is not a a book of just things that happened one time. He's alive, He's alive. And so those are three things we need to remember. And we have every reason to worship him with everything without holding anything back. I challenge you this year, for me too, to read the Bible in a deeper way than you ever have. Pray a little deeper. Pray a little harder. Pray a little closer to God and worship him without any uh, ounce of what would people think about that. What would people, people are going to think I'm a religious nut. Listen, if you go to church, the more times you go to church, they're going to think you're already a religious nut. It's true. Okay? People at Pepsi call me Ned Flanders. He's the religious nut in this, on the Simpsons. That's not a compliment, by the way. Okay? And I try not to be religious, but that's just what happens. So if you're going to be called a religious nut, go for it. I mean, just like seek God with all your heart. Don't hold anything back. I am guilty of holding things, uh, holding back a little bit with God. And I'm trying my darndest with the Holy Spirit's power to say, you know what? I am not ashamed of of the gospel, and I'm not ashamed to let people know that he's alive. And, you know, if they don't like it, do you think I care? I do care for their soul. But if they're going to react like that, go for it. I I can't stop living for who I, what I believe, and so I pray that your faith would grow this year. Amen? Number one thing, like sometimes I have a tendency to look online and look at my 401k, how it's gone up or down. It went up a little this year. The last two years before that, went down like 20%. Okay? Do you think I care? No, not really. Okay? But, I pray that I wouldn't be so focused on that. I pray for myself that I'd be more focused on the fact that I want to be, be a follower of Christ 100% rather than my 401K. There's nothing wrong with looking at for your 401K, um, but I don't want that to be my sole focus of my life and be distracted and concerned and, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. So our key verse today is in Matthew 28. I, I found a verse that we know Matthew 28. If you're a Christian, you know the Great Great Commission, right? In the middle of the Great Commission, in the middle of all that, there's a phrase that often is overlooked. You may have seen it, but it's often just kind of skipped over. I find it fascinating. It is one of the most fascinating verses of all the Bible. It really is. And it's so encouraging. Okay? So we're going to be in the middle of Matthew 28, but I want to give you some context before we get to those verses, because Jesus had just died. We know the story. They put him in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and he died, and he was, he's alive, and he rose from the dead. But in the Bible, after the resurrection, there are 13 separate post-resurrection appearances by Jesus to some people. Sometimes there are this, a couple people, sometimes there are one. One time there was over 500 people, according to Paul okay? There's over 500 people at one time, so there's 13 separate post appearance, uh, appearances of Jesus. So you're, you say you're a Christian, you're a, you're a Jewish person who followed after Jesus, and he dies, you want to give up, and then you see Jesus in front of you. What are you going to do? How many of us are going to be a little couraged? Like, he said he was going to be alive, so now I see him face to face. I'm doing whatever that guy is, is, is telling me to do because he was once dead, now he's alive. I'm following that dead, that dead man that's walking. He's alive. I'm following him. I don't care what people say. I'm going to my grave following that guy. Okay? I don't feel like I would be struggling if I actually physically saw Jesus. Give me Jesus one second and my doubt would disappear, right? Or not. I want to sow that seed a little bit because would... Seeing physical Jesus solve every problem in your life. You would think so. But if you read the Bible, no. Because the entire Bible, you have instances where there's a burning bush. Moses, he talks to God. Okay? Um, Noah is on the ark. God tells him, build an ark. It's pretty specific. God does save him. Yet, every single one of them struggle in their faith. So it's not about, oh, i got to see you, God. It's not about that at all. There's nothing evil about saying, Lord, I need you, I, I need you right now. I need to see. I need, I need your power in my life. There's nothing evil. We'll, we'll, I'll prove that biblically. There's a couple. He actually appeared to the women at the tomb when they were there first. He appeared to two men on a walk to Emmaus. I love that story. He appeared to ten of the disciples in the upper in a room. Just he just showed up. He walked through the wall or something. The door was locked, and all of a sudden appeared. Right? I don't know, like beam me up, Scotty type of thing. I think he appeared to over five hundred people at once, according to Paul. He appeared with Peter for a meal on the beach. He took the disciples fishing. He did the exact same thing. Put your net to this side remember that he did the exact same thing when he was introducing himself to his disciples it's like a restart so he appeared to them multiple times and then oh yeah and then he took them to the mountain before he ascended to be with the father we believe i want to be able to see this if you have a hard time with supernatural things you, you, you will the whole bible is going to be a, a struggle for you but one thing not only was he resurrected, but all of a sudden he was talking to, to, the, to the disciples, and all of a sudden he's going up into the clouds. And if you struggle with your faith or with the reality of the Bible, I get it. There's some crazy stuff there, okay? I want to say the side note here that there's going to be some, I'm going to be real with you this, this series. I don't want to be phony, okay? I, don't, I used to think that if you became a pastor that you get everything. I, I always thought that pastors were perfect. Because they always made it seem like they were perfect. And other Christians, by the way. But I learned over the years that that's not the case. I thought that faith is a destination. I can, if I can find that destination, I'll be doing good. But I learned I'm still on that journey. And people who have been on the journey longer than me, for some reason, they're still on the journey. Really? You've been a Christian, like you're, you're 100 years old, and you've been on a journey for 90 years of that, and you're still on the journey. What hope do I have? There is no destination. You're on the journey. And so we have all this stuff. And then Jesus, in Matthew 28, he's the disciples on the mountain. And Jesus gives them their divine assignment, which, by the way, is your assignment. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care if you're an introvert or extrovert. I don't care if you feel called to be a pastor or not. I don't care what. It, you are called to do the Great Commission. You're out to go to all the world, including your neighbors, including the people in this community. And tell them about what just took place. Jesus going to his disciples. You need to tell them what just took place. I was dead, now I'm alive. I said I was gonna die for the sins of the world. I am the way, the truth, and life. And you know what? It happened. Now it's the ball's in your court. Now it's your turn to share it. That's our divine assignment. That was their divine assignment. It's our divine assignment. And Jesus says, this is what you need. Now, remember, they're seeing him and hearing him physically. They're not seeing him with the eyes of their heart. Purposely, I said, Lydia, we need to see open the eyes of my heart because it's kind of like a, it's a spiritual, I don't want to, you know, I'm not seeing God physically, but open the eyes of my heart so I can just experience you and see you spiritually, supernatural. I just, oh, yeah, 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 I can see you with my mind's eye. They didn't see him with the eyes of their heart. They saw him. Thomas touched his hand in his side. They physically saw him and touched him. So remember that when we're seeing this verse that is just mind-boggling. There's a statement right in the middle of Matthew 28 that you may have missed. Maybe not, but some of us would be like, wow, that's crazy. Okay, Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, stop, 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 right here. When they saw Jesus, did they see him with the eyes of their heart? No. Did they, did they just believe that he existed? No. He was there. He just, he wasn't there and he showed up. Okay? When they saw him, they worshiped him as we would all do. I don't care. All we love of them, I guarantee you, they bowed down and worshiped him. that was the response that we all will have. But in the middle of their worship, look at this, but some of them doubted. Are you kidding me? I know which, I, 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 I know a couple of them where I thinking where they, they, they're doubting. Think about that. When you go through and I've really, I really wrestled with this what to say in this first sermon. When you doubt God, you don't want to tell anybody because you feel like you're the only one and you feel like he disqualifies you from heaven because you doubt God. The fact is, these people who all of them went to their grave, except for John, he, he uh, went to the island of Patmos, but all of them died for believing that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Some of them wrote some of the Bible. The reason why we have a Bible right now is obviously it's God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but people had to sit there and write it. It didn't just come down from heaven. Mormons believe that. We believe that God used humans to write down what God wanted. The fact is, these people who, in, no, not that long from this time, they will get to do the ministry that God's called them, but some of them were doubting. And this is seeing Jesus. So, I, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, I want this first one to be very simple. If you're doubting God, that's not the end of the world. Do not give up. Don't beat yourself over the head. Go find someone that you trust in the church and say, I'm struggling right now. Don't go to someone to ju- judgmental and say, What? Real Christians don't do that. Really? That person who's judgmental, not a real Christian. Now I'm judging them. So the cycle continues. But if someone comes up to you and says, real Christians don't doubt, don't trust that person. Maybe they're going to heaven, but I don't trust them. They say, oh, I never doubt. I haven't doubted since I was a little kid. They're lying. They're not being truthful. I don't care how spiritual you are or how supernatural you think you are. You're still human. And I've, over the years, over almost 30 years of being a Christian, yeah, I'm a 28-year-old Christian. Wow. In two years, I'll be a 30-year Christian. I've gone through some struggles. There are times where I've had highs and lows with my faith. Okay? So, I don't know about you, but that fascinates me right there, that verse. But some of them doubted. Most of us maybe have known that, but maybe it's been a while since you've seen that because it gets, we, 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 see, the, we see the risen Jesus we see that him teaching the Great Commission. That gets airtime air in, the, in, the, in the church. But some of them doubted. We try to hide that a little bit. Because, you know, Jesus said, blessed are those that see and yet haven't seen and yet believe. So I will throw that out there just to kind of confuse you a little bit. So which one is it, Lord? Can I struggle? I want to prove to you today that when, when you doubt God, Jesus is not mad at you. When you say, God, I need to see you, he doesn't get frustrated with you or mad at you. I can can prove it biblically. He says, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen me. It doesn't say, saved are those who only. It says, blessed. You're blessed. You have an extra blessing on you if you say, Lord, I don't know if this is all true, but I just believe it. Which if you're a Christian today, that's you. Unless you've seen the risen Jesus, which if that's the case, I want to hear the story. I want, to see, I want to hear the story. So what we're going to do is we're going to call this series Doubting God, which is kind of weird. But today, we want to be very specific to you and me. Because what we're going to do is we're going to deal with our doubt. Dealing with your doubt. Again, be human for one second, then you can be supernatural the next second, okay? It's fine. If you think you're subhuman, or you're superhuman, or you're, you're perfect, Fine. I can't stop you from that. But be human for one second. You have doubted God from time to time. There's reasons why. Now, I don't know why, but I think it's human nature that when you see someone struggling with the exact same thing that you struggle, don't you celebrate a little bit? You're having house issues or something, and someone else has house issues. You're like, okay, maybe you have a, maybe when you think about when, if you had a kid or you have a family that's got kids and, and you you know, um, or even at work, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea how to be a parent. I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how it is to be in relationship with people or at work. I don't know how to be a good employee. Then you see someone else struggle with the same thing. You're like, (laughs) why is that? Because now all of a sudden we feel a little encouraged because we know we're not alone in our struggle. So when I read this, the, the, the phrase there, I get really excited. I feel not as bad about myself because these people physically saw Jesus and touched him, could smell his breath because he's that close, and they still doubted, and God still used them. I could prove to you with the entire Bible every hero of the faith that's in uh, the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith, every one of them struggled from time to time. Every one of them. So it makes me think that I'm superhuman, and I just, nope, I just trust God, and that's all. No, come on. The first thing i got to do before we even go to this series, just be human. When you doubt God, it doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian. It doesn't send you to hell, okay? Give yourself permission to be human for just a little bit. If after this series you go, no, I want to be superhuman, I want to be Superman, go for it. Me, I'm going to grow, and there are times where I'm doubting, and I and I start going back to researching God and saying, "God, I need to see you. I need. I'm going I'm to. That's why I brought these out, and I'm going to put these up here for a minute, because other than reading the Bible and praying and worshiping, which do help, by the way, there is some help that I've used that have helped me extremely. But it makes me feel better to read that account and that they struggle with their faith. Because you can be close to God, and at the same time, you can doubt. If you don't believe that, then you're not being honest. There are two accounts that I am fascinated with. Uh, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham are two, I would call them modern-day saints. I think Mother Teresa is a saint in the Catholic Church, but I could be wrong about that. I think she is. Yeah. Um. If you, if you uh, look at the accounts that they have, they've done wonderful things. Mother Teresa in Calcutta was doing wonderful works for God, okay? There's no doubt in my mind that she's filled with the Holy Spirit and doing great things. Billy Graham reaching millions of people. I get excited if I reach one person, which is, we should be. But he's reaching out millions of people. He has his own Sirius XM radio station that's in my car right now. Okay, I'm starting to get, memorize all the, the four sermons that they just repeat. But anyway, we won't get into that. But both of them, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, and Billy Graham, both of them, right before their death, and they wrote down some accounts of them struggling in their faith. In fact, I was reading a book, and I forgot it today. I recommend it. It's John Ortberg, uh, his book, Faith and Doubt. Boring title, great book. Okay, has the quote from Billy Graham when he was 90 years old, And I think he lived till 99, so not that long before he passed away, he was being interviewed on TV and they said, do you know, do do you know that when you cross that, the pearly gates that you'll, they'll be able to hear them say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what he said? I hope so. Really? Really? He struggled. He struggled. Mother Teresa's the same. Because oftentimes she could, the, the very people she was serving that were suffering, she couldn't, take the suffering and a good God, and sometimes she couldn't, she wrestled with it too much. Okay, not every day, but some days she did. So there there are accounts everywhere of people struggling in their faith, and I'm going to be very transparent and real this series. Sometimes I can trust God 100% and go, yes, and then some days I'm at work and I stop right in the middle of what I'm doing, wherever I'm at, and go, what this entire thing's made up? I know I'm the only one that said that. I'll be real. You don't have to be real. I've thought that in, over the years. I say, what if this entire thing is made up for people who can't handle life's junk? Why, why do I say that specifically? Because I've had non-Christians tell me that. You know, the Bible just written for people back in the day that they couldn't handle stuff. So it was a way to handle their grief and their pain. So there are times, and maybe it's myself, maybe it's the devil. I don't know, but I'll just stop. Maybe you'll not like me for this, but that's fine. There are days I just stop and I go, what if it's all made up? I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my career for something that's not real. And in that moment I'm going, I have a choice to make once I make that declaration about what or this question. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to seek God? Am I going to lean in upon Him or am I going to go, go. I'm walking away from God. Which one's healthier if you're struggling? Lean upon God. And I'm still here. (laughs) Why? Because every time that I've doubted, every time that I've had questions that can't be answered, every time that I've seen suffering and struggling that I can't reconcile with a good God, I stop and I go, I need to do things that will help me grow in my faith, and it's it's helped me. But I do realize that there's some people that struggle with their faith, and they walked away from God or the moment that I, I there there are a lot of you can look it on youtube there are people who used to be christians that walked away simply because they can't fa- they can't fathom a good god and su- human suffering they can't reconcile the two and so they walk away from the church they walk away from god and um, so th- your doubt in an unhealthy way of course it can lead you away from god but your doubt if done with, healthy and biblically can actually be a catalyst to your spiritual growth because you're asking questions you're doing some research you're seeking the truth and when you seek the truth you will find the truth and and maybe not even that your truth will find you if i'm looking if i'm in a place and i'm looking for gold and i know there's gold there somewhere i have to start digging and ultimately i'm going to find that gold unless in the 1800s 1849 or whatever, they took all the gold and then I can't get any gold because they stole it all in the 1800s. They didn't leave any for us. Not that I've ever gold my, I never have. But a uh, fool's gold, now that's a good one. I like fool's gold because it looks fancy but it's not worth anything. But um, I I believe that your doubt, your season of doubt can be very scary and lonely time. You feel like you're the only one. Psst, you're not the only one. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Peter, Thomas, Abraham, Moses, David, all of them, every single one of them struggled. Everyone. How many psalms, here's a, here's a little uh, research assignment you can do. How many of the psalms does David say, where are you, Lord? He's not being metaphorical. He thinks that God's he's hiding himself. How long do I have to put up with the fact that you're silent? Many of them. I'm going to throw out a number that might not be true, but it sounds good. One-third of them. I think it's close to one-third of them. It's a lament psalm, like, oh, God, why? See, that's you. Give yourself permission to wrestle a little bit. Wrestle. Because when you wrestle with God, when you seek the truth, you will find the truth period I'm convinced that most people leave the church not because they are they, they believe they do believe he's good they just don't feel safe with their questions to other Christians because when they're afraid that if I were if I were struggling and I was talking to Dwayne they would this is not 100% this is not true at all but I would be afraid Dwayne if I tell him I'm struggling I'm doubting and he's going oh pastor Joel's doubting I'm I'm out of here Christians don't do that he would never say that I know Dwayne. He would pray for me. But there are some people that they refuse to bring their doubts before people because they have been hurt before by the church. There have been mean people in the church, judgmental people in the church, capital C, and they feel like they can, they feel utterly alone because there's a bunch of Christians who are phony who are plasticky. I've said that a couple weeks ago. They're very plastic-like. Everything's perfect. You you, you never have a bad day as a Christian and you feel, I can't, I'm not going to walk away from God. I'm walking away from the church because I don't feel safe with my questions and my fears and my doubts because everyone's going to go, no, you can't feel that way. I want to make it so that people feel safe with their questions and their doubts and that we can wrestle together. Sometimes I don't, if someone comes up to me and says, what about this, pastor? I can come up with a fake answer really quick and it doesn't make sense. Or I can go, you know what? I don't know. But let's, re- let's talk about it together. Let's wrestle with it together. Let's see. And that's a healthy thing. That's a healthy thing. So do you ever battle with doubts? I think that you do. But why do we doubt? There's three reasons why that are very common to hum- humans. This is not the only three, but these are three I could come up with that I think is humanly uh, common. Number one, why do we doubt? You have questions that you cannot answer. See, sometimes we believe we need to understand every little thing about the Bible, every little thing about this or that, or how the universe was created, or how this, or how to reconcile this faith versus science. or You know, we have to reconcile everything perfectly in order to believe. You do other things, and you go, I don't understand how my car works. Some of us do. You guys fancy people, like know how the engine works. I don't know how my engine works. I I don't even, I could research it, but I get gas. I put gas in the tank, and somehow that liquid burns and makes my car go vroom, right? I don't know. I I, I should know because who I'm related to, okay? But I don't know how that works. I just, But I still grab that hose, and I, I, I believe in my heart that there's going to be gasoline coming out of that hose, unless I grab the diesel one. Don't do that, unless you have a diesel engine, because that's bad. Dad, if you're watching. But I'm going to trust that when I grab that hose, it's going to be gas. I don't need to understand everything about it. I don't I have to trust that's gas and not water that's pumping through it, even though I can smell the gas. Um, but it's not water, that like they're not cheating me. You don't have to know everything. But for some reason, in our faith, sometimes we have questions that we cannot answer. The moment we have a question that we cannot answer, or Dwayne can answer, or Darlene can't answer, we're done. I'm done. I have to understand every little if God is God, you're not going to understand everything about him, period. Because he's God. Unless you're back to the superhuman thing that your brain is just so supernatural. Pastor, I know about 100% of everything there is to know in this world. Most people say 10%. That's pretty, that's thinking highly of yourself. 10% of everything? Think about that for just a moment. But only think about 10%. But, so questions, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and you come across something that you can't understand, which happens. Sometimes you read the Bible and it's, it's strange. You know, you go, you, go, you go to some battle, and instead of fighting, you're going to march around a wall, and it's going to fall down, and you win. That's strange. Talking donkey, that's really weird. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I believe it happened. I want to, be, I want to say that for a record. Okay? If God can, if Jesus can die and be raised from the dead, nothing's impossible. But when you read the Bible for the first time, you see a talking donkey— Don't start with that verse. Or a talking snake. When you read the Bible for the first time, you don't know it's the devil. Right? Some of us have not wrestled with these for a long time or ever. So it's going to be, I'm trying to get under your skin a little bit, a little bit, because I want you to wrestle. I want all of our faith to be our own. I want us to all wrestle with this faith thing, because when you wrestle with it, With the power of the Holy Spirit overpowering you, you will find the truth, period. If you have an open heart, if you're going in and going, that talking snake thing, that talking donkey, and that marching around this wall seven times of Jericho, why not go in there and just fight? That's a good question. See, but you don't have to understand everything. You have questions that you cannot answer, or maybe some of the stories in the Bible seems far-fetched. Boy, did pastor just say that out loud? Yeah. Listen, I didn't grow up in the church. So when I first started this journey of faith, I went went, uh, with a blind faith, 100%. 100% blind faith. And then after a while, I started struggling a little bit. And I asked someone, I said, what do I do with my struggles? He says, bring them to God. Wow. Okay, I did that. Now what? Bringing them to trusted the people. Okay, I did. And these people, these men of God who, who um, they said, man, I struggled with that for 30 years. Wow, I really, that's really giving me hope. But I realize I'm not alone. You can struggle with things and still be a Christian. <gasps> wow. Because you're not going to walk on water unless Jesus says so. You're not, you don't float when you walk. You don't have a halo over your head. Okay? Some of you guys do. Some of you guys are so full of God's glory that I can not barely even look at you. But the rest of you, I'm like, no, I can look at you. You're fine. Okay? Number two, questions that you can't answer. Number two, why do we doubt? Situations that seem unfair. You deal with things that are unfair, and you look in the world situations, and that seems not fair, and you can't reconcile. Good God, which we said at the beginning, what do we remember? Number one thing, God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. We believe that. But then you look at the fact that you lost a a spouse. You lost a parent. Lost a job. Got in a car accident. You have a limp all of a sudden. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, you're struggling with certain things, and you prayed for a situation. It didn't get better. It got worse. And God, you can obviously heal me bet you didn't so what do we do with those situations when your pastor goes okay God heals which by the way we believe that God's a healer but hey come on up we need healing let's let's go up this lo- let's go up. okay someone's got cancer we're doing it right now we're praying against that cancer in Jesus name you're from the devil blah, blah blah we do all the motions and I'm like yes now how do you feel oh I feel better You get all excited. Six months down the road, they're gone. Prayed for for people in a wheelchair. I'm like, God, I want to see that individual walk again. Because it would be such a huge thing in the grocery store. The guy comes out of his wheelchair. He was in an accident in high school in Kuski. And every single time I see him, I go, and I've used this example, but it's still in my heart. And I, I mean, I've seen, I used to work in the Kuski school with the kid in the special ed class. And this guy would be walking in a wheelchair because he'd just gone an accident. This is like before Hayden was born. This is the same year I got married, so it's 20 years ago. And every single time I see him in the Kuski store, because he's around, someone's pushing a wheelchair. How do you reconcile that? That's not fair. Or you look at world hunger. That's a huge one. And you see kids that don't do anything wrong. They're just playing out in the street, and then the bomb, or gun violence, or whatever. And how do you reconcile it? The third one is very personal for, anyone, for some of us. Why do we doubt? Because of hurts that you cannot resolve. You've been hurt by someone. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by a pastor or priest when you were young. You were hurt by an uncle. Your parents left you. Your spouse left you. With nowhere to live. Money. Like, what am I, how am I supposed to make money now? What, what, what? You have all these things. You have hurts that you cannot resolve. And then God in his Bible says, you need to forgive or I will not forgive you. And you look at that verse and you go, oh, I hate that. Because I know it's true, but I just can't let this go. Because if you're human for just a moment, remember, I, remember, we're human for this. Just, just, a sermon, okay? You all have felt that way, and I have too. Where I go, I know I need to forgive, but I just simply I can't. And the people that go like this, I can forgive them, but I'm just not going to forget. I mean, I get what you're saying, but man, that attitude. And I said that too. I can forgive them, but I'm just not going to forget that. And the problem is, yeah, you forgive them, but you're still bitter. So how do we reconcile any of this? Again, I'm trying to get under your skin a little bit. I'm trying to get you to struggle a little bit and go, I don't know if I like this. Because I want you to get to the place that you're going, you know what, if you're human and you're honest, you know you struggle and wrestle with some of this stuff. Because if we don't do that, We're going to end up going, you know, I'm struggling, but I'm the only one. And I just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to struggle and that's it. I'm just going to struggle. But where's God in the situation? Where's God in that picture? Where is the rest of the church at in that picture? Why do we even have, what? Some people go, I don't need, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Ah, I really wrestle with that one because you need other people. Do you need a church building? No. If you're talking about if you need a church building, you're right. You don't need the church building. But you sure need the church. You need each other. Why? Because we can't wrestle alone. We shouldn't wrestle alone. If you're wrestling alone, you're going to, at some point, you're going to give up, wave the white flag, and be done. Or you go into your grave bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter, and you may go to heaven, but you're going to live this life bitter. Why? I've been that way. See, some Christians can be judgmental, so you hold on to your doubts and fears. I want this to be, I want the home and the church to be the safest place that we can bring our doubts. I want, like when we have a small group on Wednesday nights right in that door for the men and the women way over there, and the, we put them on the side of the building because that's where they need to be. Just kidding. But I want, I want that to be a place where we can go, you know what, Pastor, I don't buy into what you're talking about. That's okay. Sometimes when I say things, I'm going. As a church, we need to extend grace to people who have questions and fears and doubts. If we don't, their spirit's going to break, and they'll walk away from the church and maybe even God. That's why we're preaching this. Some of us, we're so Christian that we don't need this. You're like, I'm wasting. You're telling me that you're going to talk about this for five or six, I don't know how long. But you might not think It's relevant. I have a stinking, stinking. I have a sneaking suspicion, stinking suspicion. That's another problem. I have a sneaking suspicion that you will want to lean forward in this sermon series. But if you don't, you should know people that are struggling. That's why we're going through it. Now, I want to show you today and the weeks that come that if you handle your doubts in a healthy way, that's my side note here. In a healthy way, it can actually lead you to God and not away from Him. If you, lead, if you take your doubts and your fears and your questions in an unhealthy way, it will lead you away from God. If you talk to the wrong person, it will lead you away from God. I hope this changes your perspective. Your faith is a journey, not a destination. I love the word journey. Everybody say journey. I love the word journey so much. That image in my mind, I've always, for some reason, wanted to change the name of this church to the Journey Church because I love that image because everything that we're about is we're on this journey together, bumps and all, hurdles and all, struggles and all, fights and all. If you've been to this church for the last 30 years, you know there have been some bad things that happened. There have been some struggles. There have been some arguments. There have been some wrestling. And we've gone over the years. We've wrestled. We've not fought physically, but we have had disagreements. And God brought us through. And now where we're going to go after that, we're going to learn together. You know what? The part of the journey is you go through some struggles. That's called marriage, by the way. That's called Relationship. You're not always going to see eye to eye on people and you're not always going to, you're, you, you need to understand that if you're going to succeed in this life with any relationship or with God, you need to know, or any church, that a journey is a journey and not a destination. You're just, it's a, it bumps it all. That's why I struggle with people who, they, they, they're going to a church and like this is a great place and then they have one problem with one person like, I'm, I'm out of here. I have a problem with that. Because you can't go anywhere without finding some fault with someone. I get that. I can look in the mirror and go, I find some faults. Trust me. I got a couple gray hairs right here that Hayden pointed out. <laughs> Wisdom pieces. Hayden pointed that out in my beard, even though I can't grow a full beard properly. That's fine. I can, I'm getting more gray hair before I can even get a full beard. That's fine. That's fine. But you don't get to the point that you say, okay, I took the classes, I did the work, now I graduated faith, and now I have perfect faith. I, I, I promise you, you can ask 100% of the Christians in the, in the world, and no one's ever arrived. No one has. You can say, I'm farther along. Yeah. I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're a mature believer, and you're like, you're going to a young believer that's just a Christian, and you're saying, come on, I'll help you. That's healthy but you're not down the road going, yep, I'm there. Meet me back over at the, at, the, at the finish line. If you're alive, you're not at the finish line yet. You're still running the race, right? Right? Right. Now, see, the strongest faith is, is not a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is the faith that grows through your doubts. I would say this is true about every single thing in your life. Anything that is strong has been tested. Anything that's been strong has been broken. Okay, You break a bone, sure you might, have a, you might have a limp for the rest of your life, but that bone's strong. If any relationship has gone through bumps a little bit and you survive and you thrive through it, your relationship is stronger because of the struggles, not because of everything was perfect. If my marriage to Lydia was never, if there was never a um, struggle in my marriage, I would just coast through marriage. And by the way, that would not be a good thing to just coast through anything. But because there are times when we do struggle, it makes me lean forward and go, how do I become a better husband? How do I love her more? And I'm just using that as an example. I'm saying that with God too. Anything that is worth anything It's stronger when you go through struggles and bumps and bruises and doubts and fears and, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. It's stronger through your doubts. If you don't struggle, guess what? You're not going to need anyone or anything or God. Think about that. Does God want you not to need him? No, part of worship, I think the part of worship is that you need him. And if if you need him, there's going to be reasons why you need him. If you, everything's going perfect and everything, you don't need him anymore. That takes him out of the picture. Why does he allow bad things to happen? That might not be the only thing, reason why, but that could be a reason why. Now, I want to give you an example from Thomas, John 20. Thomas, what's he known as? He is known as Doubting Thomas. I don't think that's fair. Thomas was the only disciple that, if you see at least three instances where he's investigating, he is an investigator. He asks questions. He's the only one. I think he dealt with something in the past that he didn't want to be disappointed again. I really do. I think every time you see him, he's, he's saying something or he's investigating something. He's, let's go. What do you think about this? But number one, we know it's a famous passage, but John 20 verse 24 and 25, it actually gives you a little instance why he doesn't believe at first. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin or Didymus or T. Diddy. I like to say that was his name. Uh, That was a joke, bad joke. But he was, Thomas, according, I'm a twin, so I'm J. Diddy, but I'm Didymus. And Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came. So when he showed up, in one instance, there was 10 of them. Judas is gone and Thomas is Shopping, I have no idea where he's at. You're building a fort, I have no idea. So he was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, the other disciple says, we've seen the Lord. Now, I heard this sermon a long time ago. And the only thing I can remember about it is what he, the pastor said about that phrase. We've seen the Lord. In the Greek, the way that it's written, it's, and I can't remember the term exactly, but it's like, it's, it's repeated. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. It's like when you're a kid and you say, are we there yet? 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 And they literally, would, they were so excited that Thomas shows up. He opens the door. He says, hi, guys. They said, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the They're so excited that I could believe Thomas going, awesome. He said he would raise to the dead. Let's just go see him right now. No, he goes, he replied, I, don't, I won't believe it unless. That's a statement that we, a lot of us would do. I'm not going to believe in God unless... This happens. I won't believe in God unless this goes away. So we've all done that. There's people doing it right now. I'm not going to trust God with all my heart unless something happens. I want it to happen first. Now, if that's the case, is is that a sin? Well, let's see. Is it a sin to doubt God? Let's see. Let's wrestle with this a little bit. Because I, my old self would say, never doubt, if you doubt God, you're showing God that you don't trust him, you don't love him, blah, blah, blah. It's a sin. I'm not so sure right now because of the Bible, because the Bible says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, unless I put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound. and say, I won't believe unless I see. By the way, most of us have actually Most of us have actually said that before. I don't know what that noise is, but ignore it. Pretend. I thought it was rain for a minute, but anyway, or snow. Don't. Anyway, um, see. Questions don't make you bad. Questions make you human. Questions can lead you to the truth, and truth is who Jesus really is. We shame him for that. Because we call him what? Doubting Thomas. Everybody say it. Doubting Thomas. So forever, that's what he's known as. But he's the only one that didn't see him. Why did some of them believe? Because they saw him. And they still doubted. So he's not the only one. I can't fault him for that. I I can't fault him for that. See, Oswald Chambers, which has a lot of good quotes, Doubt is not always the sign that a man is wrong. It may be the sign that he is thinking. Because doubt's not the enemy. Doubt at t- from time to time can actually lead you to the truth, and if Jesus is the truth, there was a time when Lazarus died. Remember when Lazarus died? He actually went to, uh, Jesus said, he's been dead for four days. And actually, the King James says, he stink as much. in the middle of this thing, remember, Doubting Thomas, in John chapter 11, verse 14 through 16, and Jesus told them plainly, According to Jesus, I don't think so. Why? Because he goes, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad he died. Why? So you're going to see a miracle so that you can believe. Why? In our faith. How many of us have doubted from time to time over the last 20, 30, 40 years? You're going to go... And we'll die with Jesus. What? No, Jesus is alive. Lazarus is dead. I think he got the impression that if he's on the way there, he could die too. Just like... So Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. I think he's Faithful Thomas. One time in John 14... Jesus told his disciples he's going away to prepare a place for them. And someday you're going to be there too. And Thomas is the one that goes, uh... most people go, I am struggling right now, God. Help me. Just give me some detail. Give me some detail. going to believe unless I touch his hand and touch his side. I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. And it says eight days... Thomas, if you truly believed, you wouldn't need to see my hands and my wounds. Did he say that? No, he doesn't. He's not He wants to meet you right there in your doubt. How do you know that? Because it says... Faith. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who have not. Do not rush past this verse because this is one of the verses in John that where it claims that Jesus is God you'll use it as an investigation I'm going to I'm going to seek God I'm going to, I'm not going to avoid him I'm not going to hide him I'm going to seek him Worship, go home and listen to some worship music and sing along and worship. My fears and my failures and my, uh, my when I wrestle with God, I've seen that in you. So I would choose someone that I. he was an atheist so this is the case for christ the case for faith and the case for creator i love it i'd recommend that help you along in your journey. This stuff has helped me in my journey. Another one is Josh McDowell. Can you see a theme? A ready defense. Okay? And they do help. I love both Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell. They're my favorites. I say that about every author. Jesus, you are my savior. Jesus, you are my hope. And Lord, if there's times... Hello, hello.